I'm going to be spending some time over the next three times that we're together. Blast. (laughs) Technology. Everybody loves it, right? Sure you do. Ah, wonderful. The title of my series is Experiencing the Miraculous. And I'm starting by trying to experience it here. All right, over the next three or four times that I'm with you, we're going to be talking about the notion that God is a God of miracles. Um, on, uh, I'll be here with you this weekend, and then I'll be with you again on the 12th of next month, and then again on the, uh, um, uh, the last uh, Sunday of September. I want to open with a text that's, by the way, hi, everybody. <laughs> You know, I love being part of this network of churches. Isn't it cool to think that there are thousands of us meeting in different places around and that we're all part of being together? And I just think it's sweet. I think it's wonderful. And there's, you know, really... And if you haven't had a chance to visit some of the campuses, I'm telling you, there's some cool people. you got Pastor Chad up in uh, Stevens Point who, uh, well, I kind of hate him because he's cool and thin. I used to be cool. I was never thin. That's Pastor Joe down in um, in uh, uh, Appleton, and man, that guy is so sweet. I mean, if you, you get, just if you ever get in those areas, you're there on a Sunday night. Please go and check that out. You guys that are there, we love you, we appreciate you. Um, uh, great guy. I mean, I, I, we're going to vote him into the Beautiful Man Club. He's a, just a wonderful guy. And, and uh, uh, Pastor Bob over in, in, on, the, uh, on the West Side campus, that campus is there. It's, it's just a great campus. If you've never been over there, you've got to check it out. Uh, they meet at 9.30, sweet time. And, of course, our own honorable Pastor Lathan here, who is the campus pastor here. What a gem. And he actually says things that matter. But even if he didn't, I just like listening to him talk. I keep wondering if he'll learn English or what exactly But aren't you glad we're part of this community of faith? Sweet. We say, what's the goal? To make Jesus famous. That's the goal. To help people find him, discover life. And it's fun to do it together. Um, So this series I'm beginning, the the, the text that we're using is out of Chronicles. This is a really interesting text. Uh, There's a prophet dude who's talking to a king, one of the kings of Israel. And the king is trying to assess things, figure out what he's got to work with and la, la, la. And the prophet basically nudges him and says, no, no, don't think that way. Just don't look at what you have because he says this to him. He says, the man of God answered, the Lord has much more to give you than this. Read that with me. The Lord has much more to give you than this. Here's the question. What if that's true? What if that's true for you? What if, what if when God looks at your life, he's thinking, oh, there's more than this. I have much more for you than this. And in the context of this series, I want to talk about that. I want to challenge us to think about this a little bit and to wonder, what if God really wants more for my family, wants more in the context of my career, wants more in the context of my life? What if he wants more? See, Christians believe in miracles. The thousands of us that that belong to the Celebration Network, we believe in miracles. We believe in the miraculous. You cannot read 
the narrative of scripture without being forced to bear witness to the fact that God hears and answers the cries of his people. And yet you can't read church history or be involved with any community of faith without running into evidence that there is this real dynamic interaction between God and humanity. We call that interaction the miraculous. You could survey any believing community of Christ and uh, discover the fact that, that in any of those places, there are people there that uh, are experiencing surprising ways in which God is interacting with them. Some of them are experiencing, some of you are experiencing God in your financial dimension. Some of you are experiencing God in the area of your physical health. Some of you are experiencing God in your relationships where people have told you people never change and yet you're watching as God changes people. You, people you're interacting with, somehow God is able to actually deliver people, change people on a personal level where people who are addicted or obsessed or compulsion or just plain weird can get de-weirded a little. (laughs) Praise the Lord. huh? What does that mean? It means God is a God of hope. God is a God of hope. What is hope? It's the anticipation that something good can happen. And and he's not teasing us. He's not trying to deceive us. God actually can make things better in your life. Things can actually be different. You can actually have a different life. So I want to talk to you about that, about how we can move into the miraculous intentionally in our lives, about how we can experience it more regularly. And where we start in this series is I want to talk to you about how you see God's interaction in the world. When you imagine, when you think about it, how does God work? Because every one of us in this room have sort of images about how we think God moves in the world. In history, there's basically four traditional views. All of us have a mixture of all of these. But there are four traditional views of how God moves in the world. I want to talk about them. The first one is that some people think, here's the world or the, the, the existence of the world or the universe as it were, the created order of things. And some people think God doesn't do anything. They are called the atheists. These boys and girls in the ancient world, they thought there might be gods because everybody said there were gods. But if there are gods or a god, they said they are not involved with the human world. And so there is no God. Well, obviously in this view, there are no miracles. Because there is no God, right? Now, in the modern age, there's been a revival of atheism. And there is a whole bunch of people, neo-atheists, they're called, new atheists, who are sadly brilliant, very persuasive. And whether you are challenging to faith of all faiths, whether you like it or whether you don't, people you work with, even your own children, even you are being influenced today by the atheists. They show up in our politics. They show up in our uh, movies, our books. They show up in our schools. The atheists are persuasive. They talk about why faith is irrelevant. In fact, it's stupid that you should believe in God like you believe in Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy. The atheists. Now, sadly... (laughs) There are people in the Christian church who are in a real way practical atheists. You say, why? Because 
even though they have maybe had personal conversions in their lives and even though they may have discovered, you know, somehow that, uh, you know, that, that, that God, they believe, exists, in a very personal way, they kind of feel like God is not involved with them. You say, why? Sometimes they feel God shouldn't be involved with them because they are bad people. That somehow they don't deserve it. Somehow they're unworthy. Somehow they, they deserve to be ignored. Their name isn't Billy Graham. They're not of the ilk of, of Mother Teresa. And so in their minds, they kind of believe that they don't deserve God to be involved with their lives. So even though they believe in God, they don't believe God's doing anything in their lives. Some of you that are doing this. You think that even though God exists, he's not doing anything in you because you don't deserve him to do anything. I mean, look at, look at what you did this week, you little toad. Right? The answer to Christian atheism, as it were, is to believe in the cross. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it, what it does is it says, this whole thing that we're part of is not about us. It's about him. The reason, and I love this, that in our network of churches that we hold communion sacred. Why we do it every time we do it is because we believe that communion historically has always been the place the church gathers to remember who they are. And it's like we go through the rough and tumble, the warp and woof of everyday life, and we get disoriented like we're out in the woods somewhere. We get disoriented. We're not even sure where we are. And what do we grab? We grab either a compass or a GPS, and it tells us where we are. It helps us find what's going on. See, when we go to the communion table and we pick up that that bread and we break it and we think, okay, he was broken so I could be whole. And we take the cup and we say, this is his blood. His blood was shed so I could be forgiven. This is more about Jesus than it is about me. And though I walked in this room feeling lost, I remember I'm found. It's communion. It's the high watermark of our worship. It's what we do to remember God is engaged with us. And it's also the reason why we, we, you know, why we remember the name of Jesus. How many of you are glad that you don't have to come to, to God in your own name? Right? When, 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 I mean, because really when you think about it, you know, there is something wrong with this machine. <laughs> and I'm going to get it right here. Just give me a second. Just greet somebody around you just for a moment. you know what? I'm just going to have to go. I'm just going to have to go. I just have to listen to the Holy Spirit. Well, hooray, you say, but I tend to be redundant when I do this. Okay. Unnecessarily repeating myself. It's redundant. Okay. When you are thinking only of yourself and thinking that you have the right to come to God and pray because of who you are, you're going to believe Billy Graham gets answers to prayer more than you do. Or the ilk of the type, you know, like a Mother Teresa type person would get more answer prayer than you. Why? Because you think, well, they deserve it. But who are you? (laughs) Why should God answer your prayer? I mean, you're a mom. You're a dock worker. You're a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Why would God listen to you? But do you know that the reason God listens to us is not because we come in our name, but because we come in the name of Jesus. 
Did you ever notice when we pray, when we pray for someone, we say, Father, you know, bless Joe. I pray that you'll lead him in his life. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. We don't say that sort of as a ritual, like sincerely at the end of a letter. We use the name of Jesus precisely because that is the basis upon which we can lift our voices with confidence to be heard. If you left here today and you zoomed out here, what is the speed limit out here? 40. You went out there 90 miles an hour. And you have somebody pull you over. Their sirens are blowing. You get out and, and here comes this uniformed officer and they got a badge on and they're holstering a gun. You don't look at the person and if it's a you know younger man or a younger woman say, well, pfft, just a young kid. Why are you bothering me? You, you, you know it has nothing to do with that person. You know that they are not pulling you over because they had a good week. You know that they don't have authority because they went to a better school than you. They have authority because they're not stopping you in the name of themselves. They're stopping you in the name of the law, which means that you react to them like you would the law, the state of Wisconsin. Right? See, when you see them, they represent something bigger than them. See, when you come to God in the name of Jesus, God doesn't just see you and your naughtiness. God sees that when you pray in Jesus' name, that it's almost as if Jesus is praying. You're coming in his name. You're coming under the base of him. You're, you have no worthiness in yourself, which means Billy Graham does not get answers to prayer more than you because Billy doesn't pray in his name. He prays the same way all of us pray, in the name of Jesus. Look what Jesus said in John, John 14. This is a beautiful text, I think. Yeah. And I will do whatever you ask, what? In my name. So that the Father may bring glory or the son may bring glory to the father you may ask me for anything in my name and i will do it see this is the basis of confidence you can lift up your voice not because you were good this week not because you didn't do you didn't or that you did everything you thought you were supposed to do you can lift up your voice because you can use the name of jesus and you have his forgiveness and you have his cross and you have his grace that's why you don't have to be a christian atheist you don't have to believe god won't move on your behalf god will move on your behalf now the second group of people when it, then think about how does God interact with the world? They believe God interacts, but these guys believe that God only interacts within the context of the seen world. He is not outside it anywhere. He's just in it. These guys are known as pantheists. The word pan means throughout. So they believe God is everywhere present in everything, and that sounds Christian, doesn't it? We believe as Christians, God's in everything. We do believe that. But they think God is only in things. The theological term is imminent, that he's present within it. But they think that God's only in it, and not only that, they think everything, because God is totally only in it, everything is God, and God is everything. So, a tree is God. I'm writing, this is a God. I'm a God, you're a God. The chair you're sitting on is a God. Your cat is the devil. (laughs) But everything else is God. (laughs) Pantheism. It actually 
prevails a lot in our culture. Many of your friends are, they might be Christian, but they're sort of Christian pantheists. They, they, and you know how you can tell a pantheist, and, and they're, you'll hear it in the public arena through actors and public, you know, politicians and stuff. They talk about being spiritual. Everybody wants to be spiritual. Nobody wants to be religious. What they mean about spiritual is they want to, I want to resonate with everything that's here. You know, I, I, want to, I want to be true to my feelings. I'm a spiritual person. And I'm, because my feelings are God. And I've got to get in touch with my feelings. And I want my feelings to get in touch with the, with the order around me, the trees. And the tree has an aura and I have an aura and we aura at each other. And we're... <laughs> and, and so we're, we're you know, it, and it's God, I'm God. And of course, I want, to ha- I want to have this aura with you because you're God and I'm God. We're all God. Everything's God. And so people want to be spiritual. They want to be connected to everything around them. Pantheism, right? Don't tell me about an individual God. Everything is God. Now, there are Christian pantheists. Here's what's interesting about a Christian pantheist is that they basically believe, these are the guys we talked about last time that are into radical sovereignty, Radical sovereignty is everything is God. Everything that happens is God. Calvin put it this way. Even the grass blade that sways in the wind was determined in eternity to sway in the wind. Everything. The problem with that is not only is everything like a blade of grass the will of God, every cancer cell in a person's body is also the will of God. Everything that happens is the will of God. There are people, the only way they can pray using this kind of construct in their mind, the only prayer that makes any sense is whatever your will is. And some of you, every time you pray, whether it's for healing for someone or for financial provision, you always tag on the end, whatever your will is, Lord. Now that's, it's okay, but it's potentially dangerous because if in your mind everything that is is God and it's all God, you're really kind of a functioning pantheist. And it's very, it's very difficult because prayer doesn't mean much else than just saying, God, whatever, cool with me. And there are times that prayer is appropriate. It's the Gethsemane prayer. There are times you should say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. When you're talking about whether you should move, when you're talking about which college you should go to, when you're talking about changing jobs. I mean, you should always be saying, Lord, not my will, but thine be done and try to sort through it. But there are times where you do know God's will. You know, you, you shouldn't say, God, you know, I'm... I want to fight for my marriage, but nevertheless, whatever you will. And maybe you don't want me to marry her or be married to her. Maybe you don't want me to be married to him. I mean, after all, he is related to the Antichrist. <laughs> you know, his social security number has five, five, or 6665.9 in it. Think about that a minute. So if you're not careful... All you'll do is pray just whatever you will, but the reality is God wants us to pray specifically when we do know as well. Now, here's another group. The other group, this next group, they're the guys that think God certainly created the world and he did it so explicitly and, 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 and beautifully. He put in laws, he put in principles, he put in uh, um, you know, v- values, and it, they're so perfect that he doesn't have to stay here because he sort of made it and now he's off doing God's stuff. (laughs) Say, what's God's stuff? Whatever God's stuff is. But he's not involved in this world. He just created a world. It's like my watch. 
I bought this watch. And by the way, the reason it's so big is because I'm over 50 and I can't see anything smaller. (laughs) Just wait till I'm 70. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So, but when I bought this watch, I didn't go in and buy the watch. And then as I'm walking out, this little guy's following me. And I go, who are you? Well, I'm the watchmaker. I come with the watch. The watchmaker didn't come with the watch. When I bought the watch, I didn't buy the watchmaker. Because the watch is good enough that it ticks without the watchmaker. The watch is good enough that the guy who made the watch used principles that are, that, that are fundamentally sound and will continue to work whether he's with me or not. This watch works independent of the watchmaker. This is this view. These guys are called, anybody have a guess? They're the deists. The deist believes God certainly created the world, but he created it with laws, principles, values, ethics, natural law. All this stuff just exists. He doesn't need to be here. He's off doing something else. We're on our own. Actually, even though they believe that God created and all that, and there's very Christian in his view, they don't see God as intervening in the affairs of men. See, whether you, I don't know if you realize this or not, but most of our founding fathers were deists. They believe God created it, but they believe men and women ought to pull up their uh, own boots, you know, pull up their lives by their own bootstraps, and pull up their boots by their own bootstraps and sort of get their lives together. And there's lots of people in the church that are kind of deists in the sense that they think, you know, God's expecting us to pull our lives together. You know, you just need to get, you just need to take the word of God and you need to take your faith and you need to speak God's word and you need to do this, you need to do that. And there's a lot of truth in that. But the problem is some people focus so much on what we're supposed to do that it's almost like God isn't around. That really the only thing that's going on is us and the devil who's almost omnipresent attacking me. And then we've got to use our faith and we've got to use the word of God in the name of Jesus and we've got to fight. And while we're fighting and battling and standing up and resisting that somehow maybe cross your fingers that God will eventually show up and do a drive-by miracle. (laughs) I used to think this way. It was all about me trusting. I had a faith in my faith. I had to really fight, you know, I had to really try to make it all work. And, and even though, again, there is truth in this, there are principles at work. You can bring principles into your marriage and they'll work whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. But God doesn't just give us principles. He actually does intervene. That's the next stage. This is the person set up for the miracles is in the next stage. But let me say one other thing about this. The deists, the Christian deists. <laughs> one of the ways you can tell a Christian deist are the people. And I used to be one of these guys. That when a miracle happened, I thought it was more about what I did than what God did. I used to tell people, God just done everything, has done everything he needs to do. And bless God, I just need to stand on the word of God and just speak it into existence. Blah, blah, blah. Now, there's truth there. So I'm not mocking that. We're going to come back to that third or fourth week here. So there's truth in that. But if you're not careful, you'll make it about yourself. I, that's, one of, that's one of the pet peeves I have, which actually I do have pet peeves. In fact, I have many, many pet peeves, which you will be graced with over the years. But... Or tormented by. But when I talk to somebody that's had a miracle in their life, a lot of times when you talk to them, just within the first few seconds, you'll hear what the tone of their soul is. Because some people will share a miracle about what happened in their life and they'll say something like this. You know, they'll say, man, God had mercy on me. 
And man, this was going bad. And oh my gosh, God stepped in and I am so thankful. I remember the first time we had a, Gail and I had a provisional miracle, a financial miracle. We were, we had this goofy little rental spot, which we called the palace, which should give you a hint. (laughs) Slanted walls, one space heater in the middle of the apartment in Wisconsin. So in the winter months, we tend to gravitate toward the center of the house, right? So we were getting out of that place and we only had about $125. This was back in the 70s. For some of you, it's just right after the Lincoln administration. Um, <laughs> and, and houses weren't that expensive, I mean, but they were in the 200s probably to rent a house. We only had $125. So we we're actually praying, God, you know, we, it's all we have. We're trusting. And then we saw in the paper, this house for $125. We went around, did a Jericho march around it. If you don't know what that is, that's good. Um, and we, we went over to the lady's house and we said, you know, we'd like to rent this house from you. And while we were talking to her, somebody called, a professor from the local university called and offered her quite a bit more money for the same house. And we're listening to it and, I, and part of me started singing, but part of me said, Lord, we're trusting you. We, we really feel like this is a, a miracle. And as she's mid-sentence, she stopped saying, you know what? So I appreciate that you're offering me a lot more money and that's very kind of you. She said, but oh, I'm going to give it to these young, these young kids. We were in our 20s. And when she hung out the phone and came to us and she gave us the house, and I remember Gail and I walked out and we didn't have a badge of authority. We didn't say, well, bless God, we took the word of God, stood on it, and praise God, we just spoke to the devil. You get out of here and we got as much God as our house. And if you do the same thing, you'll be just like me. <laughs> you know what we thought? We thought, oh my goodness. We took God's word, we took his promise, we prayed it, we spoke into it. Those are all good things. But in the end, when it happened, you know what we felt like? We felt like God leaned over and he kissed us. It was, our, it was our first provision kiss. And we felt loved and we felt humbled and we felt excited and broken. We were mixed up. <laughs> but so happy because God intervened in the affairs of two people who weren't important. That's God, see? So, so when somebody comes to me and I'll hear these stories, you know, bless God, you know, oh, I got a story for you. Well, I, I had me a miracle. I mean, I, had, I walked in the doctor's office. He told me I had cancer. I looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. I'll not listen to you, you foul devil. Get under my feet. And I spoke the word of God and I stood on it and I refused this and I refused that and I stood on it. Bless God, I'm healed. By the time they finished those confessions about all they did, I always want to say, well, praise your holy name. See, watch out. Even though they're true principles, don't make this about you. This isn't about you. You may do certain things because you found laws and principles, but always remember, you're doing the laws and principles, looking beyond them to a God who intervenes in the affairs of human lives. Hmm? That's why you have, that's why I love, you you don't hear that kind of tone in the text of scripture. This is a text I have from, from Philippians. This is Paul talking about his buddy, He says, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Don't name your children that. (laughs) But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother. Listen to the humanness here. Listen to the intimacy here. My fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of me. Just all this human thankfulness and kindness. He says, for he longs for all of you. Listen to it. And is distressed. He's a Christian and he's distressed. Go figure. Because he heard, you heard that he was ill. 
You mean other people were confessing that? Well, maybe that's why he was. I'm being stupid. I'm so glad you didn't get that. (laughs) When I talk in Tulsa, everybody gets that, and I always go, anyway. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Oh, listen to the humanness of it. I'm so glad my buddy, he was so sick and I thought he was going to die. He probably took the promise. He probably prayed in faith. He probably said, now let's trust God. Let's confess the healing of God into this body. I think he probably did all of that. He teaches those things. But when it comes right down to it, he didn't trust those things because he wasn't a deist. He didn't believe that God was off doing God's stuff and we've got to manage it. Fight the bell. Manage it. Fight the work. Cross your fingers for a drive-by. Now, he knew God was right in the thick of it and he was doing these things knowing he was just simply cooperating with a God who moves in the lives of people. Last thing. The last thing that we can be and these guys are the theists. Everybody say theists. This is the Christian. The theist believes God is at work in the created universe, but he is everywhere. He is both in and outside of the created world. He is both imminent, is the theological term, term, and transcendent, which means he's both, which means this basically. If you need stuff he doesn't have in this created world, he'll make it for you. He's like, God is like you sharing checkbooks with Bill Gates. He'll be both in your checkbook and outside your checkbook. He has more resources than you have need. Even when they're, I mean, he's the kind of God that if you say, I need a job and there are no jobs anywhere to be found, he'll make one and put your name on it. It was, it was Augustine who said, God is a God who brings things ex nihilo is the Latin phrase. Ex nihilo, it means out of nothing. God brings things to bear. This is our God. And it's caught right at the beginning of the Bible. Right at the onset of the Bible. It opens. You remember, how does it open? In the beginning. I mean, this is the start of the book. God created the known dimension and watch it says go to the next verse now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep now stop there isn't it interesting that god created a brand new fresh world and yet it had a lack of form that had emptiness on it there was darkness there let me give you a little insight about our god he loves process He loves it that there's a little darkness, formlessness, and some problems on your surface. He's okay with you having a dark, formless, empty friendship life. But his intention is to sweeten that puppy up. See, God does not, he's not just a God who just wiggles his nose like bewitched. Sorry, some of you are way too young to know that story. Gosh, I need to watch more TV. That's a good idea. Anyway, no. 
You know, the, the bewitched character was the one that she had. A, she was a lady that wiggled her nose and cleaned the house. Just by wiggling her nose, they cleaned the house. And we just think God just... Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> I'm going back in time as we speak. And we think God just wants to instantly make everything wonderful. That if God's in my life, if God's in my marriage, it will be all wonderful. See? That's a lie. When God gets involved, you know, he's a very present help in... We don't believe that. We think if we're in times of need, he's not present at all. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, for thou art with me. We think if we're, we think if God is with me, we would be nowhere near the valley of the shadow of death. Don't be a deist. Don't think that that he's out here somewhere. He is in it with you. In the valley, in the stuff, in the trouble, and outside of it, he is with us. That's the theistic view. And here it goes. He says, without form and darkness over the surface of the deep. Oh my gosh, what time is it? I'm done, supposedly. In fact, stand up so you think I'm done, because I really am almost done. Everybody stand. This is a trick that preachers do. Stand. See, doesn't it feel like I'm done? It's a lie. Formless, empty, dark over the surface of the... And then the Spirit of God was... Say it out loud. Hovering. What was he doing? Hovering over the waters. And you know what he's hovering? He says, and then God said, let there be. And there was... Watch. Hovering. Hovering. There's darkness. Stuff's not exactly right. And he's hovering. You know what the word hovering literally in the Hebrew means? Brooding. Image? A hen. A hen over the eggs. And what's it doing there? Just hanging? No. Being lazy? No. Does it have other things to do? Yes. Why won't it leave? Because it has a vision. If you look deep inside the eyes of a hen, (laughs) do you know what you see? Baby chicks. Baby chicks are inside the eyes of that. See, what is he saying? He's saying that God created this dimension and he's brooding over it. He's brooding over it. Why? What do you see when you look into his eyes? You see transformation in the lives of people in his created order. God is longing. He is waiting. He is brooding over you, waiting for something to happen. What is God doing? He's not doing God's stuff. He is the the consummate homemaker. God does not have a part-time job or a full-time job somewhere else. His whole concern, you. His whole dream, you. You matter. You little insignificant whatever. You matter to God. You matter. You were born, the Bible says, by God's intention. He knew when you were in your mother's womb. He knew the time in which you would be born and the place in the world where to be born, which means you matter. You've got to ask yourself the question. Is it true? Because if it's true, then God has much more for you than this. If it's true, that means God's expecting some things to happen that maybe are not happening. If it's true, there's more miracles that can happen in your life that is currently happening. And I want to talk to you about how you can cooperate with that, but you're going to have to wait till next time. God bless you.
Amen. We're not finished yet. You may be seated. I'm going to invite our ushers if they would come as we prepare for communion this morning and the worship team as they come back. Thank you, Pastor Ed, for sharing that truth with us and hopefully your heart was opened up to what God is saying to you. Talking about the miraculous. The miraculous. You know, for many that are here this morning, and maybe for some, the miraculous you've never experienced, and for some you have experienced the miraculous. In a few moments, we're going to be focusing in on communion. As Pastor Ed said, realigning our, our hearts and our minds to the fact that this is not about us, it's about Him. What He did on that cross when He died. That piece of bread that represents his body, the cup that represents his blood that was shed for us. But before we get there, before we go, before we do that, let me challenge you with the miraculous. You know how the miraculous begins in our lives, especially as believers? The Word of God refers to it in this way. It talks about being born again. Being born again. Now, I don't know about you, but... I remember the fact the day that I was born again. In fact, I was present on the day that I was born the first time. (laughs) I happened to show up on that day. I do remember that when I was born the first time, I weighed about 16 pounds. I'm just kidding. I I don't know, just somewhere around about 9 pounds, 6 o'clock in the morning. I was born into this world. And you know, when we talk about being born again, if I were to stop now and think, well, you know, it's got to be a miracle because for me to be born again, you know, weighing a little bit more than nine pounds now, it would be quite a miracle for that to happen. But being born again is a miraculous thing that happens in our hearts and our lives and changes us, a miracle. And this morning, there's some people right here at this campus, and I'm sure has been at many of the other campuses as well, that are going to experience a miracle today as they reach out and take hold of the truth. Pray a simple prayer. Begin their walk with God as they step out and say, God, I need you. I realize that I have been trying to live my life on my own, trying to go through these motions on my own, trying to do things and pushing you aside. But I've come to realize even this morning as I've sat here and as we worship, we've heard God's word, there's been a conviction in my heart by the Holy Spirit saying, God, I need to be born again. And you know what? You know, we will celebrate the fact that someone this morning will reach out and, and accept forgiveness and be, experience that miracle. We'll celebrate that. But you know, God's Word says that when one person comes to repentance, the entire hosts of heaven has a wonderful celebration. So there'll be a celebration take place this morning. As you, someone here this morning, reaches out and takes hold of that truth. I'm going to invite you this morning, if you would just bow your heads with me, and I'm going to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. Just repeat this prayer after me this morning. A simple prayer. A prayer, though, that takes hold of the truth that Jesus died on that cross, shed his blood, rose again on the third day. But as a result, he paid the price. The Word of God says the wages of sin is death. 
But Jesus came and he paid that price. He paid the wage for our sins so that you and I can have forgiveness. So as we pray this, this prayer this morning, if you're praying it from your heart for the very first time this morning, you will experience a miracle as you experience being born again. Would you repeat this after me? Dear Lord Jesus, something in my heart tells me I need you. I now confess my sin and repent of my sin. And by faith, ask you to come into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. Amen. I want to invite you just to keep your heads bowed just for a moment. Would you just... I want to ask you to do one other thing for me this morning. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time this morning, in just a moment I'm going to ask you just to look up at me. Just taking that extra step and saying, Pastor Lathan, I prayed that prayer for the very first time and I'm experiencing in my life today a miracle. Is there anyone here this morning that would just look up at me and say, yes, that's taking place in my life. I prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time. Is there anyone here this morning? God bless you. Anyone else? Bless you. Father, we thank you for those that are responding this morning and taking hold of the truth. We thank you, Father, for the miracle that is happening in their life. And we give you praise for that. And then, Lord, as we partake of communion this morning, as we focus in on what you have done, Lord Jesus, Lord, as we take time to examine our hearts and our lives, we thank you that we can do that this morning. And we give you praise in your name. Amen.